Welcome to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast, where we explore the conscious use of technology. Listen in to hear thought leaders and other guests discuss the human relationship with technology and learning to thrive in the digital era. Hosted by the author of the international best-selling digital self-mastery series and being at work, Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta. Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self. My name is Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta, and today I have a return guest, one of my favorite podcasters, Tom Singer. Welcome. Hey, Heidi. Thanks for having me. So, Tom, I wanted to have a conversation with you because right now things have changed a lot. As we know, with shelter in place, we're, you know, those of us who have spent our lives going around speaking at events, like, well, there's no events happening, or they're not, at least they've gone online. So, I mean, with the context of evolving digital self, we talk about the human relationship with technology. We talk about how it's changing the way we work and live. And hello, it's changing. I would love to hear a little bit about sort of what things you have done to try to evolve where your work is to find a new space in this uh, changing world. Yeah, I mean, I wish I had the answers. When we were together at the New Media Summit about five weeks ago, while we were there, I was on the opening panel thing on Monday and then did a closing thing on Wednesday. And between those two times where I took the stage, all of my calendar from the rest of March through June had evaporated. So I had about nine events where I was supposed to be the speaker or the master of ceremonies just sort of disappear from my calendar in the course of about, I don't know, a day, a day and a half. And it, it sort of freaked me out, but I had a commitment at the conference we were at. So I just put it aside and didn't deal with it. And then the following week, I think I you know sat in the corner and, and cried for five days. And so when people talk about how have you pivoted, you know, I'm really only about three weeks into this. It's, it's still sort of a new world for myself and, and everyone who makes their living in the meetings industry and several other industries, of course. But the meetings industry got hit fast and hard, and we're still trying to, to figure out the answers. Well, absolutely. But I think I do feel like you have the advantage of having the podcasting experience. You are comfortable with the remote technology that a lot of speakers don't have. How have <laughs> you, I mean, have you been able to sort of capitalize on that or at least uh, harness that in some way? And, and you have yeah. any tips well, there? <laughs> it's, it's interesting that that's your observation because that has been part of what I've been telling people is I've been on Zoom twice a week for like four years or however long it's been around because I use Zoom to do my interviews for my podcast. And because I got so comfortable with it, I started having business meetings that way. So I've been very comfortable with this medium of being on Zoom, being in a digital format. Additionally, about six years ago, myself and another professional speaker who also does a little bit of MC work and facilitation, she and I started a thing called the Conference Talk Show. And the idea was six years ago, everybody thought, and they were wrong, myself included, that big conferences were going to have this hybrid function where they were going to start broadcasting and selling sort of a lower price ticket level to people who wanted to be part of a remote audience. And while some conferences have done this, most of them never even tried it. The ones who tried it abandoned it after a year because they didn't make money on it. But we believed at the time the mistake people were making is they were just broadcasting their speakers. And then when it was time for a coffee break, they'd put up a little tile that said back in 45 minutes. <laughs> she and I came up with a way to fill that time and make that hybrid portion, that broadcast, really engaging for the at-home audience, interactive, engaging with networking. And we created this conference talk show program 
And we did it for about, I don't know, five or six different associations and everybody loved it. The at-home audiences went crazy. Everybody said they had higher attendance the next year because people at home were like, can't miss that. Got to be there. But nobody wanted to pay for two hosts. It just seemed like too expensive. They didn't like hybrid. So we never pulled down the website, but we never did a lot with it. However, we had real experience hosting virtual meetings and we're using that now as part of our marketing plan, both for that product of the conference talk show. And we created something else called the webinar talk show, because what we noticed in the last five weeks is everyone is doing webinars. Most of them aren't seasoned at doing it. And it's just a talking head in a box for an hour or maybe worse, just slides. Mm -hmm. So we created a way to do webinars. If you have information you need to get out where she and or I can host it, we can have host chat going back and forth between the two of us. And then we can interview the expert instead of them being a talking head, getting them to share their content in a more engaging two-way conversation. I love it. And I do think that that is something that's such a critical skill and you know and function that we're going to need to be looking much more at. I mean, you can't just sit and listen to a talking head. Even if it's really interesting content, after a while you're you get distracted, your eyes glaze over, you get up to go get the cup of coffee, you come back, you've lost the thread because we don't want to sit for so long. We don't want to, you know, we want to be able to engage. And what about the physical aspect of it? Do you have any ideas, things that within that space, I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, we're taking a break, 45 minutes, come back. When you've got that conversation going on, you know, do you tell people, get up and move around, you know? Well, so yeah, so this is exactly what we do. So for a hybrid event where you would have speakers on stage, it's being broadcast, or even now the virtual events that are popping up to replace live events, the speaker goes for, and by the way, I don't think a speaker should go for an hour in a virtual event. I still think an hour is a great time for the main stage if they're a good speaker. For a while, everybody wanted like TED Talks, and then they ended up getting like three crappy talks in an hour. You need to have good speakers. Mm -hmm. But in a virtual environment, we can't just expect a live keynote speaker to just do their bit for an hour. So what we've seen is we, we try to get people to, to take the speaking part down to like 20 minutes. Then during that coffee break or whatever, we try to make it different, more interactive. And we do things like we talk directly to the audience. Like you've been sitting for an hour watching Becky give this phenomenal thing. Now would be a great time to get up, stretch your legs. Hey, if you have to pee, but if you don't, hey, we have this chat room over here you know, what was the thing you liked best that Becky said? So we get people engaged, we give them a little bit of a break, but we also bring information directly to them saying, hey, this is just for the at-home audience. We've got Becky here. Now she talked for an hour and she skimmed over this thing about, you know, blue shoes. Becky, could you go deeper about blue shoes? And then we get her to give a little bit more of her background, a little bit more. So it's engaging for that at-home audience. Then we can interview the association of the company president who's sponsoring the event. We can interview other attendees. And so not only do you want to get people up physically, like you said, but you also want to be able to shift their brain into a different style. That's why speaking, then interviewing, then some host chat, if you will, it keeps people engaged because it's different all the time. If you watch Kelly and Ryan in the morning, they do different things to fill their hour. It's not just interviews. It's not just them talking. It's not just highlighting a celebrity or showing a video. They do all those things over the course of the hour. So that's what she and I try to bring into this conference talk show and now the webinar talk show. I love that. And I think it's so critical to to think about, you know, the potential for the technology there where you can even, you know, have audience questions, use the chat, utilize that as a 
two-way engagement. And it seems like you've really considered that. And gosh, I hope people I hope people learn from you and can can make some of these events a little more engaging because, boy, some of them are snooze fests. Well, it's still really new, right? So I've booked a couple of these things and I've talked to a lot of people about them. I have one company. They're doing a virtual event for like three days. It's going to be like four hours a day. They're going to do some of this stuff. They're talking to me about maybe being the host so that we'll have some of that chatter and stuff between speakers and some interviews. And that's back to your original question. That's where my podcast at over 555 episodes and having interviewed well over 500 people, that's what makes me different than every speaker out there who just suddenly goes, I'm a virtual expert. Well, I don't know that everyone is a virtual expert. People have different levels of experience, but I've interviewed 500 people in a business format, and I'm able to take that into this sort of hosting kind of role that I'm trying to do more of. But one of the things I'm I'm working with one company, and they're doing a full conference, they're using a big suite, but it doesn't allow you to get all the participants at home to talk to each other and break them up. So what we're going to do at the end of the day is we're going to ask the people who want networking to stick with us, switch over to Zoom. We're going to take them into the enterprise Zoom room. We're expecting hundreds of people. However, we can break them up. Zoom has the technology to break people into breakout rooms of six or seven people. And we'll give them some industry-specific things to chat about, let them go for like seven or eight, 10 minutes, then pull them back to the main group, then randomly assign them to new groups so that they can have sort of a fast-paced thing and they can see some friends and some new people and they can meet. And we're going to tell them how in that seven to 10 minutes that they're going to have, if they have a good conversation, how can they then follow up with those people Mm. and share their information? So we're going to make it kind of like a, a happy hour in the sense, but we can't do it in the platform they're using for their whole conference. So we're going to invite people who want that and not everybody wants that, but we're going to invite them over to a Zoom room and then take advantage of some of Zoom's technology. So the problem out there is that no one platform has all the technologies. So what I'm trying to do is say, great, how come a conference has to have a single platform? We can do different things with different links at different times, and you can buy your URLs to redirect people to where you need them to be. So on a click of a button, they can leave one platform and go to another. Well, absolutely. And as long as the platforms can also, I mean, I think where we're going to see a lot of innovation, particularly driven by this this time right now is that the platforms need to be able to communicate with each other. So there needs to be a fluid transition there so you don't yeah, lose people. That's not going to happen soon. Well, <laughs> I, it may not happen soon, but it's going to happen sooner than it would have because now there's more of a need. And so I think in my tech geek community, we've been talking for years about, okay, when are we going to have our hologram meetings? Well, that may not happen tomorrow, but we certainly can get closer to a place where we can have more of an interaction, you know, at this point, it's on a screen, maybe it's multiple screens, maybe it's looking through an a, you know, so a VR headset where you can see everybody there. And you can sort of turn your head and see other people in the room, whatever it is, there's, we're going to get closer to that, because there's more people need that interaction. And the follow up piece, I think is what's really missing. And that's a really interesting point that you bring there. If LinkedIn, or some other professional platform, can figure out a way to integrate where you can say like, hey, I'm having a conversation with this person. I see their face. Can I click on it and actually send them a friend request or you know, a link well, request? That actually exists already in some of the meeting broadcast platforms where when you log in, you log in through LinkedIn to the platform so that you have access to your LinkedIn profile in chat. I've seen that. I've actually seen that already. So oh, that's it is, great. And I think you're absolutely right that these things are coming. The other thing is, and I'm a little contrarian to what everybody out there is saying, 
as soon as we get back to real life, and I don't believe in this new normal, I think people are going to want to get back to a normal life where they can come and go as they please and everything. And it might be a year or more away till we have this viruses, from what I understand, I'm certainly not a scientist, tend to have a lifespan and they mm -hmm. tend to last like 18 to 24 months. We, we're not running around worried about MERS or SARS right now. So eventually this virus will, will play itself out. And if there's not another one right behind it that's as contagious, we will, people tend to go back really, people's memories are really short. We're going to go back to a lot of live meetings, but the long tail of this is I think many things, not everything will be handled virtually. There'll be some meetings where like, why should we fly to get together? But there's going to be other people who are like, no, we're totally flying to get together because there's still going to be that human engagement piece. But there's also for the big meetings, the long tail is going to be this hybrid concept that six years ago I thought was real. I think it's now going to be there permanently. Well, absolutely. And, and to your point, that hybrid and I mean, you know, there is that value. I mean, I crave those those personal meetings like we had on the New Media Summit right before, you know, right right before all of this broke out. As it was cracking, we were all together. Exactly. And I mean, those are, are so such valuable and rich experiences, but I think we'll be more selective about the ones that we attend and that we take that time for the travel for the value of them. Whereas when there is a hybrid option for one of those ones where you're like, oh, I really don't want to do that travel. Is it going to be worth my time? the travel time on each side, and that there's the whole sustainability factor as well of, you know, are we, you know, do we need to do that flying? Do we need to do that driving? Can we do this from home and be kinder to our environment and kinder to our bodies and the impact it has on our bodies? But at the same time, there's the whole aspect of sitting in front of a screen all the time is not good for your body either. So there's a lot of different factors to that, that I think, I hope what we come out of this experience learning is sort of how to discern what is the optimal for us and the different ways that we can receive the information and experience. I fully agree. And I think there's a place for all of this. But I will tell you that especially when the economy is booming for the people who can afford to do things for the people who prefer to get together and to travel and to do it as soon as they can, they're going to go back to that. And if they have an advantage because face-to-face -face does trump digital in a lot of ways, then the people who don't like it as much are going to be attending also because they don't want their competitor to have that advantage. So it's, I think we're going to go back to a lot of the things that we've seen historically. I mean, humans have convened for as long as there have been humans, and I think we'll get back to that. But I think that there are going to be some minor changes. I think they're coming faster than they were coming without this. And I also think that those of us who, who plan or participate in live events I think th there's been a lot of, there's sort of a pendulum that goes back and forth with speakers. It's like, oh, we want a really great speaker or, oh, we want really great research and content. A, I don't think this is an either or. I think there's great content delivered by great speakers, but I see meeting planners who are like, mm, she's not as good, but she meets whatever I need with the data or some demographic or whatever. And it's like, no, I think we can't take risks on who we put on stage. So I think what you're going to see is the people who are really dynamic and great speakers are going to win a lot more of the spots because we can't put on a meeting that isn't captivating. Absolutely. And I, I think to your point that I think there's hopefully people are going to take to heart and from this experience where they're seeing a lot of this really, you know, snooze fest type stuff where people are going to start realizing that they really need to up their game. They need to do speaker yeah. training. They need to do the training on 
you know, how to work in dynamically in a Zoom room and to keep people's attention and learning things like comedy. I mean, so I want to get a little bit into because <laughs> I've always admired the fact that you've done this. And I think that, you know, it's really not everybody can pull that off. And I haven't actually gone to see you perform live, but I, well, in a comedy place, but I have seen you perform live as a speaker. And I, so I can imagine your comedy is awesome. One of the things I would like to sort of ask you about is sort of, you know, where does that fit in? How, you know, what are some of the things that we can do to up our game? And you've obviously embraced comedy. Not everybody can be funny. Not everybody has it to. (laughs) I don't know that I'm all that funny, but the the quick story behind how I got into doing that was a couple of years ago, I was going to be in New York and a friend of mine who's a professional speaker on humor in the workplace is his topic lives in New York. I said, let's hang out. He said, come to open mic night with me. And he is a professional comic also. And I said, I'd love, I would love to watch you work on new material to which he said, that's not what I'm inviting you to do. I'm inviting you to create a five minute set and get up on stage. And I was 51 years old, kind of a pretty serious business guy. If you look at me, I look like the bank president. It's like, you know, it's like, this wasn't my thing. Although as a kid, I wanted to be a comic or a performer of some sort. And he challenged me to do it. And I did it. And I wasn't great, but I didn't flop. And I said, you know what? There's something to be learned here. I have to push myself into this area that is scary as can be, because I think stand-up comedy is the hardest use of the spoken word. So I just made a proclamation I would do 100 open mic nights. And I didn't think through how long that was going to take. It ended up being about once a week. It's been exactly two years, a little plus now, and I've done 95. So I didn't quite make once a week, but almost meant 95 in like, you know, 120 weeks or 110 weeks. And I just started going when I travel, I would look up open mic night Detroit, and I would just show up at a comedy club or a bar. And I'd sign up and I would do it. And sometimes I would get laughs. And sometimes it would be crickets. But I always tried to just put myself in 100%. And now that I'm having to do a lot more of this digital stuff, and I'm hosting, I'm hosting a digital conference for several days. Well, I've done stuff like it. I've never done anything exactly like it. But I'm using the skills I learned by doing 100 open mic night that I just got to go up there and turn it on. I can't, I can't go up there and be like, oh, oh, maybe, I don't know, I haven't done this before. I'm, I'm, I'm your host. I just have to go up and be like, hey, everybody, this is your host. We're going to have a great time the next three days. Let's go through some of this stuff. Here's your first speaker. And I learned that, that in the comedy, that even if I sucked, if I went up big personality, I would be okay. If I went up meek, I wouldn't. In fact, one of the young comics said to me, you're new at this when I was brand new. He goes, you're new at this, but your stage presence is amazing. Well, he didn't know I'd given almost a thousand professional speeches in a corporate setting. So I used my corporate experience to have a stage presence while my comedy sucked. And now that I'm getting a little bit funnier, I take some more of the the comedy aspect into my speaking. So I think your answer is find something, doesn't have to be stand-up comedy, for whatever your business is that is akin to it. I mean, speaking and, and comedy... You're both, you're standing up, you have a microphone, you know, there's people in the audience. They're very different and their purpose is different, but they're kind of cousins and find something that pushes you out of your comfort zone and then dive in and really do it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's so true. And I mean, for me, for me, it's music. I was a singer songwriter for many years and uh, put that aside when I, you know, had a family and recently actually got together with one of our fellow podcasters and wrote a song and and it just it was it was cathartic for me to to get back out there and to use my voice in the way that that I did for many years and it was my way of communicating and whether it was you know putting together 
you know, inter- interesting prose that sort of captured a topic, but just, you know, flowed in, in a nice way. It, it was definitely something that I would like to use more in my work, whether it's in speaking or whether it's in, uh, in my podcasting. I'm curious as to whether you've seen any, uh, have there been any uh, online open mic nights for the comedy? Are, is it, what, what's happening there? I mean, comedians, they've lost their stage. What's happening? So it's interesting. Yes, they exist. I actually started the first virtual open mic night in Austin, Texas. I think there's a couple of others that maybe have parked up on Tuesday night. I just used my Zoom room. This is five weeks ago when it first started. There were a couple, everything was closed, all the bars. There was a comic saying, oh, what are we going to do? And somebody said, we could do it on Zoom. Somebody else said, well, Zoom, if the free account only lasts 40 minutes. You can only do this or that. And I piped in and said, I've got the enterprise level, which is the highest level of Zoom. And they're like, of course you do. They were making fun of me going, oh, the guy, you know, sure, he has a corporate, you know, he's a corporate guy. Of course he can afford he can, I they're can all be 25 funny. driving Uber. <laughs> and so I started doing it. We've had as many in the five weeks we've done it. We've had as many as 17 people on it, as few as like nine or eight. But people keep coming back and they stay. Like I I've it. got a family. I want to go out and watch TV after we spend our hour together. And these comics are like, hey, so what'd you guys do today in quarantine? And I just let them have the room and, and chat. Sometimes I stay. Sometimes I go up out with my family. So they like the human connectivity. And then a gentleman by the name of Drew Tarvin, T-A-R-V-I-N, his company is Humor at Work. And he speaks. He's my buddy who got me into this. He has been hosting comedy shows where he's choosing. I was, on, I was one of his first speakers at his first comedy show. Uh, he's hoping, hosting some open mic nights and storytelling nights in his Zoom room through his business, Humor That Works trying to reach out to both comics, storytellers, and business people who want to do that. And, and I've seen other things out there, other comedy shows and stuff, but I've been part of Drew's stuff and, and part of the stuff for the Austin comic scene. So, so yes, is it as good? No. You know, you're sitting down. Yeah. You know, I, I have a, a separate microphone. I'll show it to you where I know we're on audio, but I have a separate microphone I use when I do open mic night. It's not plugged in. I have found that, you know, it's harder to do without the physical connection to the real people, but I've done it five weeks for the one I, I do. And then I've done a couple things with Drew and I'm realizing that as a speaker now that I'm doing a lot of webinars and, and even though I'm saying there's too many talking head webinars, I've done like five associations have hired me to do a talk called social tightening while social distancing. And it's all about how we get everybody together through zoom or through the phone or through text or the different tools you can use. And I'm doing essentially a talking head webinar but I'm getting emails from people saying, I've been on a lot of webinars the last few weeks. This was the best one I've been on. How come? Well, it's because I know how to use my voice. I know how to use enthusiasm. And it all comes from a combination of the speaking and the comedy and trying to figure out how do I take this into this video, digital, distant format? Well, I think it's a really vital tool, not just from, you know, from the business sense, but I just got off another interview with actually someone who works with keto and functional medicine. But one of the conversations we were having was around oxytocin and how laughter is a great way to trigger your oxytocin. And a lot of us are really experiencing stress and tank, you know, high cortisol levels, low oxytocin levels, which can really mess with your system. Okay. And laughter is such a great remedy for that. And why can't you monetize it in a way that, I mean, this is medicine for people right now. How do we find ways to get that medicine to the people? but also be compensated for it. 
Yeah. Well, and that's the whole thing. I have found there's certain people out there in my profession who are like, I'm holding to my fee for a keynote. I charge $20,000. If they want me to do it virtually, it's $20,000. Unless they're famous, I don't know who's working because my clients, I'm like, uh, you guys know what my fee is. And they're like, yeah, we can't afford that. So my answer kind of my clients is, what do you think is fair? And some of them just don't have any money. Some associations are worried about going out of business. And so I've been doing a little bit of work for companies and things like that, but it's minuscule compared to what I make as a speaker. That being said, I'm doing it in 30 minutes, 60 minutes from my studio in my house. And right now I'm not really worried about how much money I'm making for everything because there is no industry standards of what a webinar gets paid, what hosting a virtual conference gets paid, what giving a virtual keynote is. In the live speaking world, you kind of have your niche and your area and there's sort of industry standards there. It's still all over the map a little bit, but right now, this whole virtual world's the wild west. So I'm basically telling people, you know, I'm a professional. You got to pay me something. I'm going to, I'm going to suck less than someone who's free. And you get what you pay for, right? (laughs) But right now I'm, I'm about the mission, not the money. I really think as we have to, you know, reinvent ourselves and it's not forever. Live events are going to come back and I'm really good at what I do. There's going to be people who are like, we want what he has to offer. And I have fees for that to get on a plane and fly. Just my gig right before I was with you, the new media summit was keynoting a conference in Hawaii. That's awesome. And I want to do that again and it will come back. But in the meantime, I I think everybody's just got to be, you got to be scrappy. You got to be out there willing to try things for cheap, for free, for, you know, for whatever. And then we have to be paying attention to what's becoming that, that industry standard and, you know, make sure that we're offering a little bit more than, than the average person. And when we can converge that we'll get by, but you know, I'm, I'm worried about finances because my entire way of making money has been pulled out from under me and it's only been five weeks. But on the flip side, you know, I'm, I'm going to be tenacious. I'm going to keep trying things. I'm going to put myself out there. And then I'm trying to help others and, and give them advice. And you, you let into this with the humor thing. Part of what I'm teaching people to do is if you've got Netflix, watch some comedy special, hmm. you know, don't just watch dramas. Don't just watch, you know, you know, reruns of things, watch some things that'll make you laugh whatever it is, whoever your favorite comic is, these, these comedy specials on Netflix. I mean, some of them are too dirty for people. Some of them aren't their style. Find a slice of comedians that match with what make you laugh and try to do it. Cause you'll just feel better or watch reruns of friends, whatever it is, find something and laugh out loud. Yeah. That laughing out loud is so, it's so therapeutic. I, I love it. And my husband's like, why do you watch this dumb TV? And I'm like, Oh no, 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 this is therapy. This is, this is not. Yeah, this is costing you less, honey, than if I have to log on to, you know, my therapy app. Exactly. Because there are now therapy apps. One of the, I, I was doing a co-presentation and they were talking about stress and my co-presenter and she and I both believe that if you're having a rough time, there's no shame in, in going to see a counselor. And so that was part of what we talked about. And I made the comment of, can you go to an office? And she goes, oh no, there's apps. And you log on and you get assigned a counselor and, you know, you're paying the fee of a professional counselor, but it's a real counselor and you can talk to them via your phone or you can get on Skype with them. So I think that's awesome. If you're struggling, you know, you could have a therapy app. Well, absolutely. And actually, one of my clients has developed an app that's not necessarily for, it doesn't connect you to a therapist, but it provides treatment for particularly for people who are recovering from addiction or have depression and it can be all kinds of different types of depression or stress levels, problems with sleep. I actually use it for, they have a binaural beat within it that helps me fall asleep. And sometimes I do it first thing in the morning because it sort of reprograms your brain to be happy. 
It's actually for countering suicidal ideation. I'm not suicidal, but it actually just, it sort of puts me in a good mood in the morning. And they've actually, during this time, I advise them to completely unlock the app so it's free for everyone to download. And if people go to the show notes, it's in in all of my listings because I think it's a really powerful tool. It's called Enlight. E-N? E-N-L-Y-T-E. And they are in the process of doing some rebranding, but which will be with hope. But at this point, you can find it and light. You know, they have meditations, they have binaural beats, gratitude journals, lots of different things that, you know, in times like this, it can be really helpful. And, uh, you know, some people aren't comfortable with going to a therapist, or they just want to get a little bit of extra support. And it's a great way to do that, to get that little extra. I found the app right here. I'm going to download it right now. Awesome. Yeah, so I mean it's a it's a great tool and uh they've been an interesting company to to work with on um on digital well-being. We're in the process of doing some some research studies, so I might give you folks a, a link, keep an eye out on the show notes and and the webpage because there may be opportunities to actually participate to participate in some studies as well in the future. Um, I downloaded the app already. Awesome. Awesome. Well, glad you did that. I hope it's helpful for you and I think for for folks right now who are uh, quarantined it can be really helpful and it's just an easy, easy thing to do. And it doesn't cost anything. We like that. So I want to circle back to speaking and from sort of for, for you, because I know I had you on an early show, but some folks may not have heard your, your first show. So how did you get into speaking in the first place? So, you know, I guess part of it was as a kid, I wanted to be a performer. So I had that wanted to be an actor piece under me, but, but literally I was in sales and marketing for my whole career. And when you're in sales and marketing, you go to a lot of conferences. And I vividly remember sitting in chairs in ballrooms, watching a speaker, not a celebrity speaker, but a business speaker, watching them and thinking, she or he, they have a better job than I do. And so I would go talk to them. And I found out that this was a real business. And I, I was working for a law firm as their director of marketing. And I started doing some training on how lawyers can do business development. And they thought it was so good. One of the partners gave me to a tech company to speak at their conference. And it was like several hundred people. I'd never done anything like it. And afterwards, the CEO of that company said to me, he goes, why are you here? And I'm like, well, your lawyer is on your board and you needed a speaker and didn't have the budget. And he thought I was good. And he's like, no, I know why you're here. He goes, why do you work for the lawyers? Why aren't you a professional speaker? You're awesome. And I was like, well, I, I don't know. I'm not famous. I hadn't written a book. I go, I, I, don't know that, I don't know that you can do that. I don't know if it's a thing. And I remember this guy going, it's a thing. His ex-brother-in-law was a member of the National Speakers Association. So I went back and I looked it up and I started tracking it for several years as an industry and learned how you would make money in that industry if you got into it. And then 11 years ago, I got laid off from my job as the marketing director for a consulting firm. And I just decided to go for it. And we were in the middle of the recession. April 2009 was the bottom of the Great Recession. But there were, unlike today, there were still meetings, but they weren't sure if they could afford speakers. And I was willing to do it for $1.95 and a chicken dinner. So I got out there and I was good at it. And people started recommending me. And 11 years later, that's all I've done ever since. That's awesome. I love that story because it just, it goes to following your passion and finding that thing that you're good at. And you are so good at it. And so I want to make sure before we sign off that people can find you if they want to work with you, if they want to learn more about how to transition their meeting into the new sort of hybrid platform that you've been working with and developing. And uh, yeah, so how do, how do folks find you and work with you? They can find me at TomSinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. 
The conference talk show is conferencetalkshow.com and webinar talk show is webinartalkshow.com. And uh, those will take them to any of the information around making your webinars more engaging, making your conferences more about the at-home audience. And then my stuff is, is on my site. Awesome. And don't forget, you've got a great podcast, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So if folks want to just listen to you talk, there's also <laughs> that. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us today, Tom. It's always a pleasure to see you and to chat with you. And uh, good luck and uh, keep us posted as to where things go because I think there's going to be some great opportunities on the horizon, but uh, we got to just get through this tough patch first. Yes, we do. But you know what? We're all going to get through it. We've gotten through historically over you know several thousand years of humanity. We've gotten through stuff. We'll get through this. Absolutely. And thank you, Digital Suffers, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to share this time with you. And if you haven't already, don't forget to rate, review, and share it with your friends. Until next time, bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining us for The Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self-mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.